This cramps my style because I'm going to have to stay still a little bit. And if you know anything about me, I'm a pacer. I like to pace. It gets the mind going. Ah. See what we got here. All right, so. How many people here believe in the creator God? The one who created the world out of that which is invisible. You know, there are certain people in the world today that don't believe in God. They believe that time, space, energy, and matter is all that there is, and that there's absolutely nothing underlying the physical world. But we don't believe that. We believe that before the world existed, God already was. Amen? Amen. That God is eternal. And this eternal God is spirit. He is invisible. He is immaterial. He is eternal. And he brings forth the created order out of nothing. And so there's this visible world, but there's also an invisible world, isn't there? There is an invisible, heavenly realm. And how many people know that the heavenly realm and the earthly realm are interconnected. Did you know that? They're not separated. And that the things that take place in the heavenly realm influence the things that take place in the visible, tangible reality in which we find ourselves. Are you with me so far? Right? So we have invisible, we have visible. The invisible influences the visible. So there are things taking place in the heavenly places. Well, what are those things? How many people know that when God created the world, he created the world to be good? It was his beautiful creation. Exceptional. Without imperfection. And he creates an image-bearing man, Adam, and he places him in the garden with Eve, an image-bearing woman. And Adam and Eve are tempted by a serpent. But that serpent is really a manner of describing the devil, the Satan, the adversary. That's why in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about that ancient serpent, the devil. And so, the devil is a spiritual being, is he not? And he comes in the midst of the garden to influence Adam and Eve. To influence them away from God. He didn't want them to believe the word of God. He wanted them to believe his words. When he confronted Adam and Eve in the garden, he was in fact calling God a liar. But saying that he could be trusted. Surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you will become just like God. Knowing both good and evil. We all know the story. Eve takes the fruit and she eats. She gives some to Adam and he eats. 
The Lord catches up with them in the cool of the day. They recognize that they were naked. They try to sow fig leaves. Man's first attempt at fixing his spiritual problem. That's called religion. We're not here for religion, amen? We're here for a relationship with the one true God. And so, God says, cursed is the ground because of you, doesn't he? There's a curse placed on the ground. And in that day, what happened? Adam was separated from God spiritually. And Eve was separated from God spiritually. That's why they were exiled out of the garden. But then, just over 900 years later, what happened? They died physically. You see? So there was something that occurred spiritually, intangibly, invisibly, in unseen spiritual places that had a, man that had a manifestation in the physical world. Their physical death was a manifestation of the spiritual death that they incurred at the time that they took the fruit. Are you with me? This is really important. And now, ever since Adam and Eve, human beings have been making choices that pertain to their spiritual life. Moral choices. Choices pertaining to where they stand with God or against God. God reveals his will to humanity. He reveals his law to us in our consciences. He's given us the scriptures to show us his law. And every single day of our lives, we are faced to make choices. And just like Adam and Eve, there are forces of wickedness that seek to influence the choices that human beings make on an everyday basis. Are you with me? You see, the world was prosperous. It was beautiful. It was plentiful. It was perfect. It had absolutely no lack until man fell into sin. And now all of a sudden you have death, you have disease, you have destruction, you have chaos and hunger and poverty and addiction and all of these different forms of Malice and wickedness and bitterness and strongholds galore. And it's the result of spiritual battles that are taking place in the heavenly realms that find manifestation in the tangible, vis visible, physical world. What does Paul tell us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10? He says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so that we would be able to take our stand against the devil's schemes. So the one that schemed Adam and Eve in the garden is still seeking to scheme the people of God in the here and now. And he's been scheming people throughout the course of human history. And we need to take a stand against him because Paul says this. That we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so he tells us to put on the full armor of God. He is aware of this heavenly realm. 
in which the angels of God and the angels of darkness are doing battle. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 15, it says this, Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. What army and chariots? It's the army of an enemy. And they're advancing against them physically. Right? It's in the natural. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now I could picture the servant just standing around looking, saying, ain't nobody with us. I see all of these chariots and horsemen coming. What are you talking about? Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, the man of God had spiritual protection and the man of God knew the spiritual protection that he had in heavenly places. And so he wasn't nervous. Are you with me? Do you know the spiritual protection that you have in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? So we got this, right? This is simple. There's a visible world, the natural. And then there's a supernatural world, an invisible, intangible reality. And there are angels, angels of light and angels of darkness. And the angels of light are doing God's bidding. And the angels of darkness are doing the bidding of the adversary. And there is a clash. There is a clash. And so a lot of the things that we find in the natural are the result of activities that are taking place in the supernatural world. You see, it's really important to understand there's many examples of this in Scripture. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 10, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And listen to verse 11. It says, And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. So she had a sickness, an ailment, a physical problem, But the agent behind that problem was spiritual. It says, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Jesus later in verse 16 says that Satan had this woman bound. Now by the time you get to this world, it's already messed up, right? So I'm not saying that everything that befalls you is the result of your sin. So if somebody says that I said that, you tell them that Deacon Eddie did not say that. I'm not saying that the things that befall us are necessarily the consequence of the things that we do in rebellion against God. But what I can tell you is this. 
that when we do rebel against God, we worsen our susceptibility to the enemy's attack. Are you with me? We worsen our susceptibility to the enemy's attack. When we sin, we cooperate with the devil and the angels of darkness to perpetuate the madness of a destructive life. And that could manifest in a variety of ways, oftentimes unpredictably so. Are you with me? I don't always know how my behavior is going to catch up to me, but I can tell you that it will. Are you with me? And there are times in my life when I have exacerbated the struggles in my life by cooperating with the enemy's plan by giving into temptation and rejecting the will of God in those moments and in suffering loss because I lost a spiritual battle. I didn't engage the way that I ought to engage. And I gave in and I gave away ground and I suffered loss in the natural. So I lost the battle spiritually. And then there was a manifestation of that loss in the natural, physical world. Mark chapter 9 speaks about a boy who has a spirit demon. And when Jesus addresses him, he says, you deaf and mute spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, right? So it's a spiritual problem. There's a spiritual agent. And yet, he wasn't able to speak. That's physical. He wasn't able to hear. That's physical. But there was a spirit behind it. So, so as the world has been turning and people have been making choices all along, they make choices to either advance the kingdom of darkness or advance the kingdom of light. Now we know that God wins, amen? And we know that God's ultimate victory does not depend upon our faithfulness. Are you with me? God is going to win no matter what. Every time the devil tries to mess with me, I tell him to read the back of the book again. His time is short. The Bible says that the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under our feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now when we talk about why Jesus came, why did Jesus come? Uh, listen, I'm an evangelical from the bottom of my feet to the top of my hair, which the gel holds up. I'm evangelical. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. This is who I am. I'm an evangelical Christian. I love the Bible. And I believe in personal relationship with Jesus. That he and I can have a personal relationship that is exclusive to us. He and I. Beautiful. 
And so when I ask people, why did Jesus come, they always personalize it. He came to die for my sins. Right? He came to provide me with forgiveness. That's true. He also came to provide we with forgiveness. To redeem us. To reconcile us to the Father. And we're so busy talking about our sin and our guilt and our need to be saved that we talk about how Jesus saved us on the cross by taking our place and paying our debt on our behalf and then rising from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. And that's all true. And we need to preach that. But listen to what John says in his first book. He says this in chapter 3, verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. And the Son of God, this is what I want you to get. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Wow, we should listen to this, right? John, who laid his head on the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper, he is said to be the only one who has ever heard the heartbeat of God. He's telling us the purpose for which Jesus came, and here it is. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Are you with me? To destroy what that serpent began in the garden when he deceived our first parents. And to reverse the impact of the fall. He came to eradicate the things that create suffering. To restore blessing and prosperity and fulfillment and ecstasy and unity and grace. That's what he came to do. To destroy the works of the devil. Jesus says this in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. But you see, every time I try to find peace outside of Jesus, I'm cooperating with the devil and his plan to destroy my life. And that could manifest in a variety of different ways. It could be physical illness. It could be... Unemployment, it could be hunger and poverty and frustration of many kinds. It could be problems in relationships. All different types of addictions and other issues can manifest as I try to find peace outside of Jesus. He goes on to say this, in the world, you have tribulation. You have trials. You have things to endure. But do what? Take courage. I, he says, I have overcome the world. He is the victor. Are you with me? Romans chapter 8 and verse 35 says this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? That's an effect of the fall. Will distress? That's an effect of the fall. Or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These are all effects of the fall. These are the things that manifest as people cooperate with Satan. What does he say? No, in verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Amen? He loves us. We just sang about that. 
God's love for us and how we are victorious in him. So we are not fighting for the victory. We are fighting from his victory. Are you with me? He already won. He defeated Satan on the cross. He made a spectacle of him, he says, in Colossians 2. Triumphing over him by the cross. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, the warfare of the believer, his weapons, are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Are you with me? Every stronghold, every fortress, every obstacle and encumbrance to the will of God can be torn down by the spiritual weapons that God affords us in Christ Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And our job is to join with Jesus Christ in pushing back the kingdom of darkness and advancing the kingdom of God. And as we do that, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be less disease and less sickness and less poverty and less hunger and less unemployment and frustration and broken marriages and addictions because the kingdom of God is advancing. And so we're here to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 5 says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So if it doesn't exalt our Savior, in the name of Jesus, let's tear it down. Are you with me? Let's destroy it. Let's put it under our feet. Jesus said that he's given us the authority to trample the heads of serpents and scorpions. It's time to recognize that there is a spiritual battle taking place and we have been enlisted in God's army to participate in that battle to push back the enemy so that the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the power of God and all the things that God desires can be manifest in this natural physical world. We take every thought captive, we make it obedient to Christ. This is the call. So look, there's brokenness in the world. Myriad forms of agitation and frustration. Disunity, dissonance. All of these things exist. But there will come a day when Jesus returns and he's gonna straighten out this entire mess. But we're called to participate in that in the here and now. And people have been sinning before we ever got here, right? We came into a mess. We came into a mess. But you know what? We could make it better for ourselves and for the people next to us by pressing into God and doing his will and praying in the spirit to advance the kingdom of God so that we've done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we can do. And so I'm inviting you as members of God's army Okay? 
You're being enlisted in Christ. You've been enlisted already. I'm just here to remind you. Okay, you were enlisted by Jesus. To say, I am not, I am not going to let the enemy advance in my life. I am not going to let the enemy take away the blessing of God that God wants to give to me. And so I am going to walk with humility and in obedience and by the power of the Holy Spirit to push back the enemy and to grab a hold of the blessing that God has for me, even in the here and now. Amen and amen.